So in this episode, I get to speak with Patrick McEwen. If you're not familiar with Patrick, he is one of the foremost experts in breathwork and uh, the research and scientific information that relates to the impact of breath on our overall well-being and the influencers it can have on many other systemic health challenges, whether it's asthma, whether it's sleep and the critical connection between uh, breath and quality sleep, and the other known and unknowns that doing some prescriptive breath activities and work through the group called Oxygen Advantage that Patrick had started, it supports sports performance. And going through those can help improve your sports performance, your overall well-being. Uh, also, some unknowns that were, frankly, in this episode kind of blew my mind was relationship between uh, dental connection as well to your breath. So the fact that um, the shape of our mouths can influence how well we breathe and how that correlates to a rising issue in childhood sleep apnea. Uh, and then the trickle down from that to things like learning challenges, uh, additional sleep challenges, concentration issues, mental and uh, emotional capacity challenges. So it was really a fascinating, fascinating episode. I think you'll get a lot out of this. In the show notes, you should see a, uh, a couple of links to some of the research papers that Patrick's done. But you can check out his website at Oxygen Advantage as well as Buteco Clinic. And all that is in the show notes. So thanks. Take a listen. Remember, be rested, be well. All right, welcome to another episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast. And today with me, I have Patrick McEwen, author of The Oxygen Advantage, uh, owner, I believe, of the Buteco Clinic. I'm breathing trainer. Patrick, welcome. Thanks very much, Scott. Well, um, as we were just talking offline, you know, my discovery of, of you and what your practice and, and your mission um, kind of relates to our personal scenario. Initially, it was kind of my fitness. I'm a runner, um, but also heavy with allergies and things of that nature. And also we have a daughter with asthma and just discovering that we can influence some of that. We don't have to fully rely on the medications, not that they're not important, uh, or want to overlook that, but, um, you know, what you do in your background was, was personal interest to me. So I'm looking forward to this discussion. Sure. Of course. So, um, with that being said, you know, maybe give your background, Patrick, on how you got started down this path, um, of really focusing on breath work and the importance of it and the various, I would say influences it has more than just breathing. Pure, purely by accident. I was a kid growing up with asthma. And if you have asthma, you don't just have asthma. If your lungs are inflamed or if you have issues with your lungs, it's not necessarily isolated to your lungs. So I had a stuffy nose. I had chronic nasal obstruction. This results in chronic mouth breathing. This in turn impacts your sleep. Then you're waking up tired. Your concentration is affected as a result. I was having sleep disorder breathing. I was told that I was stopping breathing during my sleep. And, you know, it was only in the last 10 years I realized that's a condition called obstructive sleep apnea. So my concentration was affected. My breathing was affected. I was having asthma, quite a bit of medication. 
And um, yeah, it, it definitely has a huge role to play in quality of life of any youngster or any adult. And I came across, I read a newspaper article and it said two things. It said simply breathe through your nose, which I wasn't doing anyway because my nose was totally stuffed up most of the time and breathe light. And I knew I wasn't breathing light because you would hear me breathe. You would hear me breathe during rest. I would breathe very hard during physical exercise. So I had developed a habit of over-breathing because of, probably because of mouth breathing. And I think it's a vicious circle. With asthma, your airways are constricting. You feel that you're not getting enough air. You breathe harder in an attempt to overcome the feeling of suffocation. But that in turn causes the airways to constrict. So asthma is a condition that's feeding in in itself. And that's why it's very important to optimize breathing, not just for asthma, but also for sleep, for anxiety, and for exercise performance. Yeah, I mean, that was the one thing that, for my discovery, the, the various components that it interplays with. Um, yes. You, you know, you mentioned some obvious things around sleep and sleep apnea, and it seems yeah. like it's on the rise. Yes. Sleep apnea is a huge, it's, not, it's an epidemic, and it's a de- an epidemic in children and in adults. And it's, in general, it's overlooked. Most people with sleep disorder breathing, they are mis- they're not misdiagnosed. They're just not diagnosed at all. Um, a large percentage of them, they're not obese. They, f- they don't fit the, the markers but are, you know, the, the, the suspect points or the risk factors that people would normally associate with sleep disorder breathing. It's relatively prevalent in children, and it has a huge impact in young kids. To give you an example, if a child is snoring by the age of five and untreated, they have a 40% increased risk of special education needs. And I can send you some articles and papers on that. So if you think of the incidence of children in the United States with ADD, ADHD, autism, I'm not saying that autism is as a result of chronic hyperventilation, but certainly ADD and ADHD, there is a huge link there with sleep disorder breathing. And with that is mouth breathing in childhood, which in turn is causing it. You have some pediatric dentists in the, in the, in the United States, Dr. Kevin Boyd, um, his colleague, uh, Mariana Evans. You've got uh, associations, the Academy of Orofacial Myofunctional Therapy. You've got orthodontists who are focused on airway. And really, there are some tremendous healthcare professionals in the United States who are driving this. And they are driving it not just for the United States, but throughout the world in terms of improving the recognition and the importance of nasal breathing for children. Because when a child's face is growing up, sorry, when a child is growing up, of course, with the mouth closed, they have their tongue resting on the roof of the mouth. And this will help to develop the craniofacial changes that are necessary for a good airway. So a child who has nose breathing, their face will develop better than a child who is mouth breathing. The child who is mouth breathing, the tongue is midway around the floor of the mouth. And as a result, <clears throat> the face can sink downwards. The face is longer. The jaws become narrow. The palate becomes high or the palate could have been high anyway. The nasal cavity is infringed. The nostrils become narrower. And because the jaws are set back, the child is increased risk of sleep apnea. So I suppose I don't want to give you all the negatives here and now, but you know, I think it's <laughs> yeah. important to, to look at the, the consequences of mouth breathing in children and also the consequences of mouth breathing in, in adults. And, you know, there's so much you can do with, with the changing the breath. But 
there is so much inf- misinformation out there. If you go to your most yoga studios, you know, members of the general public are going to yoga studios to help with um, stress, with quality of life, with well-being. And in the yoga studio, there's often an overemphasis on the biomechanics of breathing. And in the process, biochemistry is completely sacrificed. You should never hear your breathing in a yoga studio. So if you're doing light movement, breathing should be light. But in a yoga studio, there's often an emphasis to take full and deep breaths. And in the process, that isn't increasing oxygen uptake in the blood. That isn't increasing oxygen delivery to the tissues. It is causing blood vessels and it can cause blood vessels to constrict and it can cause less oxygen to be delivered. So what I would like people to do is, you know, investigate the, the, the power of the breath, but don't just look at it from one dimension. It's multi-dimensions. And in very simple terms, when you, when you look at breathing, you have to consider the biochemistry, the biomechanics, and the cadence of the breath. And that's functional breathing. And then if you want to go a few steps further and you want to apply stressors to force the body to make adaptations, then you can do breath holding. So we do a lot of breath holding, especially with athletes, because we want to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis. We want to push the, the athlete into, we want to disturb the blood acid piece, the blood acid base balance in order to improve buffering capacity, for example, delay lactic acid and fatigue. So yeah, I think the breath, breath is wonderful. It's a wonderful means to work with. We carry it with us all day long. And it's important to discuss how and what is the best way to consider breathing. Yeah, I mean, you touched on a lot of different things. One takeaway I'm seeing is like a lot of things is depends on your state of where you are and why you would use the breathing methods. There's different ones for different circumstances. And, um, but the biggest (laughs) crazy thing that really comes to mind for me is around the children and around the cranial or the mouth yes. adjustments and the yeah. orthodontics element. Yes. Could you maybe pull yeah. on that a little bit further? Sure, Scott. This is not new information. This was written back in 1909. If you put in dental 1909? malocclusions, yeah, 1909, malocclusions, mouth breathing, and the journal at the time for dentists was a, was a journal, strange name, but the journal was called Dental Cosmos. And you will see an article in that, pay, in that journal I can send you the link. I'll pull it up. I'll find it on Google. I'll send you the link. When you read that article, it's almost that somebody wrote that article today. So we are talking about 111 years of recognition of the effects of mouth breathing on childhood development. But yet the dental industry has debated it. And the reason that they have debated it, as opposed to really embracing it, was because it's very difficult to quantify and assess mouth breathing, the degree of nasal obstruction, for how long can the child have the mouth open before it causes negative changes, um, how much nasal obstruction is necessary to cause mouth breathing, at what age does nasal obstruction come about to cause the most harm. So dentists in their willingness to get scientific truths have debated it. And this is a big issue because it has led to no progress with the exception of some really spirited orthodontists and dental professions and they have driven this and there is quite a lot of research now coming out it's starting to catch up 
You know, we're talking about children with their mouth hanging open. I was that child. Your concentration is absolutely impacted because how can you concentrate if you don't have the quality of sleep and you are not going to have a quality of sleep if your mouth is open at night? No child should snore and you should never hear a child breathing during sleep. That's the key. Like you hear an adult during sleep, you may say, okay, that's not too bad. Well, but if you hear a child breathing during sleep, it's not good. And it's really because the child's brain is developing during the formative years. Now, if somebody has a debate with me and says that, you know, mouth breathing has no impact on the shape of the face, and there is a little bit of a chicken and an egg here. You could have a child that's born with a very high narrow palate and a narrow maxilla. And the child's face, the jaws are too small to house the tongue. And as a result, when the tongue is occupying too much space in the mouth, the child may have a tendency to mouth breathe because there's not enough room to breathe through the nose because the, the palate is high and it's infringing on the nasal cavity. But if you look at a paper, a dreadful paper, by Dr. Christian Gimeno, and this was published, and I'm just going to pull up the title of it now. But basically, he looked at... The name of the paper is called Debt, Nasomaxillary Complex, Sleep Children, and it was published in 2012. Dr. Christian Guimano, he has since passed on, but he was a Stanford-based medical doctor, and he coined the phrase obstructive sleep apnea. He also developed the apnea hypopnea index, which is a measurement of the severity of sleep apnea. In this paper that was published in the international, sorry, it was published in the European Journal of Pediatrics in 2012. They looked at seven children who had died abruptly as a result of sudden infant death syndrome. The only thing that these children had preceding death was a little runny nose. But the main thing anatomically was that they had a high narrow palate. We should be looking at this. Healthcare professionals should be looking at this. If a baby is born with a high narrow palate, you can have even exercises where an adult places their thumb, their thumbs, gloved of course, into the child's mouth. They exert a gentle pressure for periods of 10 seconds and they can help develop the maxilla. And if you make contact with a pediatric dentist, Dr. Kevin Boyd, I mentioned him earlier on from Chicago, and the work that he is doing with six months old. So when we consider the airway, we have to consider that this could be a, a case of, you know, life or death. Um, and if the airway is compromised. So, yeah, this is where the debate is. Is it the small mouth which caused mouth breathing? Or is it the mouth breathing which caused the small mouth? It doesn't matter. Let's do something about it. And dentists are in a wonderful position to do something about it with light wire appliances to help direct and to, uh, to help direct the growth of the face forward, the jaws forward to make room for the tongue. We have to consider, is there enough space in the child's mouth for their tongue? And if there's not enough space for the child's mouth, for, if there's not enough space in the mouth for the tongue, then the tongue is likely to encroach into the airway. Small airway, big problem. So yeah, so it's really interesting. And, you know, it's, again, there's like, there's a, there's a medical condition called adenoid face. And adenoid face is because the adenoids were too large. It wasn't the enlarged adenoids that caused the changes to the shape of the face. It was the enlarged adenoids which caused mouth breathing. And mouth breathing caused the change to the shape of the face. And when you look at these kids, they are exhausted. 
you know, they are exhausted because of lack of good quality sleep. And they are also more prone to ADHD because they are in a state of adrenaline. They've been woken up so many times throughout their sleep that they are in a constant fight or flight response. And even when they wake up, they can't activate a rest, you know, a parasympathetic tone. They continue to be staying in that fight or flight. So simple things that could be, could be brought in to help children. But unfortunately, it has been overlooked in the main. Well, and you closed out there on um, a key piece is you've got all these complex medical conditions, but we can look to something pretty straightforward, something we do naturally, but something we can also influence, which is breath work. Yes. Um, and so, you know, you touched on um, all the science behind it. So for those listening, like what would be a practical step to be able to mitigate, especially for children, since we were just talking on that, you know, how to kind of reclaim yeah. that, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, for parents to, to just observe their child, can you hear your child breathing during sleep or even can you hear the child snoring? And then do you, do you hear the child stop breathing and pay attention to that? Is the child having the mouth open during the day, especially when they are distracted if they are tired or watching TV in the evening, is the child with the mouth hanging open? Now, 50, up to 50% of study children persistently mouth breathe. There are exercises to help get the child to breathe through the nose involving breath holding. Now, I've put all of the exercises for children up free on our website. So we don't request email addresses or anything. All of the exercises for kids are free on our website. It's butecoclinic.com forward slash Buteco children. There are nine exercises there. There's exercises for helping to address nasal obstruction, for helping to change the habit of mouth breathing, for addressing diaphragmatic breathing, for breathing through the nose during physical exercise. And one of the things that we do encourage is we have to get the mouth closed during sleep and during the day. During the day, we do request that parents ask their child to wear a paper tape or a tape around the lips to bring the lips together. Now, I know it sounds a little bit bizarre, and I'll show you the tape that we use. It is my own tape, but we had to bring out something to try and change the habit of mouth breathing. So when you think of a child, when I'm, when I'm working with a child, I'm often wondering, and I work with a lot of kids, why is this child having the mouth open? Is it because of nasal obstruction? And if it is because of an obstruction of the nose, whereabouts in the nose is the obstruction? Is it the front of the nose, rhinitis? And allergic rhinitis is pretty common. It affects about 40% of the U.S. childhood population. You can easily open up the nose by simply holding the breath. So you, you ask the child, typically we always get them to wear a little bit of paper tape across their lips before they do the exercises. You take a normal breath in and out through the nose. You have the child hold their nose and gently nod their head up and down as they hold their breath. And they hold their breath until they feel a relatively strong air hunger. Then they let go of their nose and they breathe in through their nose and they breathe through their nose for about 30 seconds. And then they do it again, 30 seconds to a minute's rest in between each and do it about six times. It's been written about since 1923 that breath holding helps to decongest the nose. And the wonderful thing about the human nose is that the more you use it, the better it works. Anybody, child or adult waking up with a dry mouth in the morning you are not waking up feeling refreshed. 
And children are more likely to wet the bed, for example, during sleep as a result of mouth breathing and the associated sleep disorder breathing. And with adults, adults are more likely to have to get up to go to the bathroom during their, the night. And the problem there is disruption of their sleep. They have sleep fragmentation. They wake up feeling tired. So, so uh, real quick, so you said bedwetting in, in youth? Yes. Or, yes, it's be... very much associated with, without a doubt, very much associated with a sleep disorder. And mouth breathing is going to be quite a considerable contributory factor to that. Wow. Now, the other aspect that I want to touch at, and I, I wrote an article about this, explaining it to parents in terms of, and I think it was based on the mistake that I made with my own child. My child was stopping breathing. She had all of the features, unfortunately, that I have. When she was born, she had a very narrow palate. She had a high palate as well. So she had a very small facial feature. And it's not ideal because the airway can be compromised when there isn't enough room for the tongue. So I noticed then when she was about three or four years of age that she was stopping breathing during sleep. And of course, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, oh my God, here we have a case. This is something I'm working with all the time. Now I see my own daughter doing it. I went through the whole tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy route. And I had her tonsils and I had her adenoids removed. I had her lip tied on. I had, had her tongue tied on. But then I looked at getting maxillary expansion. And that was fine. The maxillary expansion really worked well. Light wire appliances. And um, there's one dentist in, I think, not too far from you, actually, Washington, D.C. His name is Dr. James Bronson. And he is one of the most brilliant dentists that work with children in terms of helping to develop the maxilla using what's called ALF, Applied Light Wire. I don't know what the, the, the acronym works, name, um, sound. I don't know what ALF stands for. But it's a little gentle wire that's put into the mouth to help develop the jaws. I came across a study then about a year ago. The efficacy of tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy was first investigated in 2010. Now, this is despite the practice going on for decades by ear, nose and throat doctors. And when the researchers, and this was published in the Journal of the American, um, the American Respiratory Critical Care Medicine, the journal by the American Thoracic Society, they looked at 578 children who had tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy. The researchers concluded that sleep apnea was only cured in 27%. 73% of them, even though they did make good progress, they continued to have residual sleep apnea. The question here is, is it the adenoids that's the real problem or is it the airway that's the problem? And the adenoids are the domain of a medical doctor but the airway, you could argue, is the domain of a functional dentist, a pediatric dentist who is trained in functional orthodontics. And my explanation here, I'm showing you an anatomical model. Here is the adenoids here. And in this situation, you see that they're small. But if in a young child, it's very common that the adenoids become enlarged. And as a result of the enlarged adenoids, they block the airway. However, enlarged adenoids are mainly a problem when the airway is already compromised. So if I was to work with my daughter again, I would have actually left the adenoids intact, but I would have worked to develop the airway. The problem was her airway. The problem is not necessarily the adenoids. And it, it's because of the, the speciality or the ownership 
it's really the ownership which has been considered here that medical doctors and dentists and medical doctors have the domain of sleep medicine and they have kind of you know put dentists down the dentists the, you know there's kind of a, a thing between medical doctors and dentists and i can say this as a lay person looking in that dentists feel sorry medical doctors feel very superior over dentistry and this is my own personal experience and from talking with with individuals in the healthcare profession and as a result dentistry has not been given the door to look into sleep and sleep medicine and it's really the dentist who is playing such a tremendous role here because a child will go to their dentist very frequently a child goes to their dentist every 6 months at least to get it in teeth clean but in that process the dentist if they are trained they are in a great position to help identify risk factors that that child may be having a compromised sleep and to do something about it so i'm currently writing a book it's um it's a couple of years now in the the running and i've got you know sidetracked a few times but i put a huge emphasis in it for children for sleep and looking at the whole treatment of making sure that children can be can reach their full potential because no child is going to reach their full potential if they persistently malbreed and if they have a compromised airway i have a compromised airway i know all too well the impact it has on academic achievement for me to get my grades and i was very driven i was a teenager and i would study 10 to 12 hours per day it wasn't because i was stupid but it was because i had to study so much because i didn't have the focus and the concentration and the memory to retain material because if you are tired you are not going to absorb material and i think you know and i'm pretty sure of it that my my academic ability which would have been much better and much easier had i had good breathing but that was overlooked in 20 years of visiting my doctors no doctor ever told me to breathe through the nose and nothing has changed this has not changed in 20 years i came across nasal breathing in 1998 yet now if a child goes into a medical doctor and i'm not blaming doctors here but what i am saying this is the reality of it it should be the university professors who are teaching medicine that start to look at the functions of the nose in terms of sleep in terms of anxiety in terms of stress you know like dr james barkley is a near nose and throat doctor from new zealand and he writes articles and i can send you on any of this stuff i can send you on you know so you can check it yourself the pressure of oxygen in the blood from nasal breathing increases by 10% the po2 not the spo2 or the sao2 but the pressure of oxygen in millimeters of mercury pressure was found to increase by 10% with nasal breathing. Now not only is nasal breathing helping to increase oxygen uptake, but nose breathing also it allows a more normal um pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood. And carbon dioxide is not just that waste gas discovered back in 1904 that the pressure of carbon dioxide that carbon dioxide is a catalyst for hemoglobin which are red blood cells which are proteins within red blood cells to release oxygen to the tissues in other words oxygen that's carried in the blood by hemoglobin is released to the tissues in the presence of carbon dioxide 
And then when we hear about, you know, children who are mouth breathing and breathing hard, and a lot of children who mouth breathe will develop breathing pattern disorders. And mouth breathing is connected with the upper chest and upper chest breathing and fast breathing is fight or flight. So in a nutshell, the mouth breathing child, as a result of nasal obstruction, which could have been addressed, their sleep is compromised and their mind is compromised. That is a lot to think about. And, and what I'm thinking about too in this is you're talking about, you know, the blood and how the oxidative state and how that evolves. And also, you know, it seems that's a critical element to memory, to function, to your organs. So, you know, having a strong foundation of your body and a healthy state pervades your entire body and organs, which, you know, we're in the midst of this COVID stuff still is important to fend off any kind of virus or bacterial infections. Yes. Is that a fair statement? I would totally agree. I would totally agree with you. I cannot say that nasal breathing is going to stop COVID. Sure. What I am going to say is whatever chance you have as a first line of defense, it's your nose. Your mouth plays absolutely no role in the filtration of air as it enters into the body. There is no filtering mechanism. There is no protection exerted by the mouth. If you pick up any medical physiology textbook, and if you look at the functions of the nose, you will always see breathing listed as a function of the nose, but breathing is not a function of the mouth. Now, discovered back in 1991, a gas called nitric oxide, and this was discovered in the exhaled breath of the human being. And nitric oxide is actually antiviral and antibacterial. So if you Google now with COVID, nitric oxide, clinical trials, COVID, you will see that there's clinical trials underway now in the United States investigating the impact of nitric oxide as a treatment, inhaled nitric oxide as a treatment in COVID. Now, we have to bear in mind here that your nose is a source of nitric oxide, your mouth isn't. Nitric oxide is released from the paranasal sinuses. It's also likely to be produced inside the nasal cavity. And when you breathe through your nose, you carry nitric oxide from your nose, down your throat, into your lungs, where it helps to protect the lower airways. It sterilizes the incoming air. It helps to redistribute the blood throughout the lungs. It improves ventilation and gas exchange from the lungs into the blood. So a couple of points about COVID. People are going into states of hypoxia. And this is really dumbfounded medical doctors because they are not sure How on earth could you see a patient dropping their blood oxygen saturation down to 70%? And these individuals don't seem to be overtly breathless. Of course, they're going to have some trouble breathing. But for blood oxygen saturation to drop so low, could you, by changing your breathing, increase alveolar ventilation to help optimize oxygen transfer from the lungs to the blood? Yes, this is not my information. I first came across it by an Italian cardiologist called Luciano Barnardi. And what he did was he was working with his patients with chronic heart failure. He's seen that his patients with chronic heart failure, that they had exercise intolerance. And most doctors might say, well, the reason that they have exercise intolerance is because of their chronic heart failure. But he asked a question, 
maybe they have an overly strong chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide. So what he started doing was he started teaching them to slow down their breathing to six breaths per minute. In the process, this improved alveolar ventilation, improved their oxygen uptake in the blood. We've also seen clinical trials or studies investigating climbers in Kilimanjaro that when you change your breathing, you can enhance and improve your breathing efficiency. So coming back to COVID, 2005, there was a study, laboratory study, looking at coronavirus SARS. Researchers got coronavirus SARS and exposed nitric oxide to the coronavirus. And nitric oxide inhibited the replication cycle of the coronavirus. So, you know, like why we have all of the instruction of washing our hands, of keeping social distance. Why is there nothing about nasal breathing? Why is there nothing about slowing down your breath? You know, why, like I was traveling all the time. I was exposed in so many situations to coronavirus. And I only got back from Los Angeles on the 17th of March. So just over a month ago. Um, I was traveling in London and tube stations and packed trains. And I did two things when I was on the train. One was I breathed through my nose. And the other was I breathed hardly any air for the entire duration. Because we have to consider that COVID-19, it's transmitted, it's airborne. Um, and it's not just from sneezing and coughing. So you have an infected person. They breathe. They breathe water particles out of their mouth, out of their nose, into the atmosphere. They talk. They will breathe water particles out. And these water particles, they spray almost like an aerosol spraying. And if you have anybody within a reasonable distance, another individual will breathe that um, virus into their own body. So why not breathe through the nose as a protective mechanism? Because nasal breathing, you, you are going to breathe less. And why not when you are walking past somebody in a supermarket? Because let's face it, we still have to shop. Hold your breath as you walk by an individual. Um, and why not people who are infected? They should also nasal breathe because infected people, if they mouth breathe, they will emit a 42% greater water loss into the atmosphere. So if you have somebody in a gym, for example, I know gyms are closed down now, but I'll just use that as an example. Sure. You go back to a gym, you have a group of individuals in there, they will all be huffing and puffing with their open mouths because the vast majority of people doing physical exercise, they don't know what their nose is for. So they breathe through their mouths. They breathe through their mouths, not realizing how inefficient and how uneconomical it is and the trauma that it's doing to the open airways. But you could have one of those people in the gym and they have COVID-19. They are mouth breathing hard and fast. They are emitting a lot of this um, virus into the atmosphere and they could be putting other people at risk. Why not tell the person who's exercising in the gym Breathe through your nose because your nose is not just about moistening the incoming air. It's also about trapping the moisture on the exhaled breath. Nasal breathers are less dehydrated than mouth breathers because the body is retaining moisture during nasal breathing. Wow, that's interesting around the uh, dehydration aspect. And uh, I had another guest on, we were talking about various therapies, but talking about dehydration is a big 
systemic yes. issue that people are also not talking about some simple yeah. things that you think, okay, we're talking about water and breathing and yes. their underlying systemic issues that we are not going and focusing on. Um, and it's almost like we're, we're too smart for our own good. We're, we're making but things, certain things too complicated. Um, and it's not that they're not important or valid, but they might be a lower talking about lowering the bell curve significantly lower if we just focus on some basic functions of existing. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. Um, it's not very sexy to talk about breathing and it's not very sexy to talk about water. If you spent eight years in university studying medicine, you, you want to use your degree to the best of your ability. You want to research stem cells. You want to research the cutting edge of science and technology to make new discoveries. You don't want to talk about breathing because your peers are not going to respect you. And medical journals will probably not publish anything when you're talking about the benefits of nasal breathing. It needs to be cutting edge. So I think in a way we have lost you know, the art of the, ma- the most basic functions of humanity. And one is that the breath is probably the most important function. And the reason being is because the importance of a function is determined how soon the organism perishes when you switch it off. And you can live without water, you can live without food for weeks, you can live without water for days, and you can live without air for just a few minutes. So surely the quantity and the quality of the air that we are breathing, we do know, of course, that air quality is very important, but we need to look at quantity and we need to look at breathing. And, you know, you might argue or somebody might argue that, well, sure, breathing is natural. Sure, why do we have to worry about it? We are not living in natural times. We are very much as a modern society exposed to chronic stress. Stress Stress changes breathing patterns. We talk a lot. Our ancestors, they didn't talk in their jobs the way we do today. And if you have a a person who's in an office space and if they are talking from 8 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock that evening, that person will be exhausted at the end of the day talking. It's not because of the mental concentration. You could read a book from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. You won't feel exhausted That's mental concentration. But if you are talking from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., you are breathing hard, you are breathing faster, you are losing carbon dioxide, blood vessels constrict, less oxygen is delivered to the brain, and this can result in central fatigue. So the brain can be tired, and you talk to anybody who talks for a living, and look at the amount of people who talk as part of their jobs, salespeople, counselors, therapists, and teachers, lecturers. There's a huge amount of the service industry and all they do is spend most of their day talking and that is having a negative impact on them. Um, Lack of exercise, you know, foods that we are eating, you know, are we really eating the natural foods that our ancestors were eating or are we eating foods that are laced with Roundup, that are are grown in, in soil, that is barely adequate in terms of minerals. Um, You know, it's really about commercialization has screwed up the Western society. And maybe this is one aspect in terms of the one positive that has come out of COVID. It has forced us to slow down. There's something nice about that. There is something nice about it because you don't feel guilty. We have been conditioned 
to feel guilty if we take time out because we have been conditioned to work, 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 to be busy continuously, to never stop. And it is madness. And, you know, in Europe, we're just as bad as everywhere else. And in Ireland, 50 years ago in Ireland, we had a very slow pace of life, you know, very slow pace of life. Nowadays, it's mad. And it's as mad as every other country in the Western world. Yeah, I would agree with that, you know, sidebar and just the fast-paced always on. I mean, that's, you know, again, the basis of my podcast and my own personal journey of just getting burned out because I was trying to do too much um, all the time with reduced sleep. And I would argue some of the things we've just discussed um, were probably influencing some of that as well definitely yes. sleep deprivation with kids as i'm sure you know the 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 sleepless nights or the occasional middle of the night wake ups that you know over time is a negative compounding interest yeah 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 i think corporations have to bear some responsibility um you know they are putting a lot of pressure on employees they are pitting employees against each other they are really crafty and clever and intelligent And ultimately the motive, and I might be cynical here, but this is what I experienced working. You know, when I left university, I worked for a multinational for three years before I came across breathing. And then I changed careers and I changed careers on the basis of the benefits that it brought me. But I used to feel the tension and um, just the stress going into work with corporations, going in at eight o'clock in the morning. And, you know, how information technology completely controls you, how you are controlled. You're told that you were given responsibility, but really you have none, no responsibility. You know, there's an open management or policy that is akin to, you know, pretending to have the best interests of employees. Um, and I think it's dreadful. I think it's total deception. You know, I think many companies, like why would you call employees, team members, associates, partners, They're not employees or employees, but it's dressed up using um, clever wording. And coming back to your, and I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll let you in now in a second. (laughs) It's your podcast, but I seem, I feel I've taken it over. No, no. Um, But, uh, you know, there's a, there was only one time there was a paper looking at chronic burnout as a result of, it was in, in Sweden. And I think in the paper it talked about, yeah, the, the greatest cause of absenteeism from the work, workplace in Sweden is, is stress and chronic exhaustion. And the researchers locked it. I think it was a population of 30 individuals who had burnout. And they found that hyperventilation was present across all 30 of them. They also found that when they addressed hyperventilation to bring their breathing down towards normal, to normalize their breathing volume, that their scores of anxiety, depression, and exhaustion reduced. This is not new. If you look at the Costa syndrome, the Costa was an American physician in the American Civil War. I'm not sure of the dates of the American Civil Wars at the 1870s or thereabouts, but he noticed that soldiers returning from the front line who had been exposed to chronic stress over a six-month or more period, these soldiers exhibited exhaustion, breathlessness, fatigue, and all of the associated symptoms with it. And it was called the Costa syndrome. In 1937, researchers changed it from the Costa syndrome or irritable heart to hyperventilation syndrome. 
in the 1990s. Researchers changed it from hyperventilation syndrome to breathing pattern disorders. This has a long history in modern society. Yeah, and I think, you know, personal anecdote, you know, relating to that and the overall thing of breath is like the stress is the catalyst, which although breathing is um, natural, you don't realize how much your mind influences your breathing. And I, you know, for me, when I started to, to realize this was I was holding my breath. Well, that's what ends up happening from stress, or that's how I responded to the stress was all of a sudden I'm holding my breath and then I need to take a deep breath, which you just explained. It's really the opposite of what we should be doing. So I'd take a deep breath in and it would often be through the mouth. And then I would, I would find myself doing this all the time, especially on the drive from home from work. <laughs> and I would just be completely exhausted. So I spent all day talking, like you said, mm -hmm. in the sales role. And then I'm driving home, holding my breath, not in a good pattern. And then breathing in through my mouth hard. And it just, um, as I evolved over the last few years, you know, can practically say some of the things you spoke to, you know, it helped influence a better lifestyle for me and still working through it, but you know, personal anecdote yes. on, on some of those things. Yeah. 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 So Patrick, I mean, we talked, we could probably have about seven more hours of this, but, um, you know, in the interest of time and your, per, your, your calendar as well, but, you know, talked about some amazing stuff, some practical things. Um, before we close out, I wanted to ask, you know, a couple personal questions. Um, mm -hmm. So what are you reading right now? I started reading the book that I'm reading. Well, I actually just, well, I just finished this two days ago. Um, I had it. It's called Just Breathe by Dan Brulé. And I spoke with Dan two days ago. So I read the book just um, before I spoke with him. I also am dipping in and out of a new book from Penguin Books. And it's called Brett. And I just got kind of the forward copy of it by James Nestor. By the way, that's an amazing book. James, and James Nestor is a journalist from the United States and he spent a few years putting this book together and it's tremendous. I also am reading a book called the, the coddling of the American mind. And in terms of the transition of parenting and we in a role as parents, are we helicopter parents doing everything for our children, taking away the freedom, not giving them the ability to fend for themselves and to provide them with the tools to make a better life for themselves. So that's the kind of books that I tend to read, you know. And yeah, I just read Just Mercy. I read a lot of books, a lot of books. I have a library in the house. I've got a small library here. Just Mercy by a, a lawyer from the United States. Um, I think his name is Brian Stevenson. But looking at prisoners on death row and um, the, in taking into account the Innocence Project, and his work in terms of helping these prisoners to, you know, to a very fair hearing in terms of, especially when they were innocent and they were incarcerated for doing something that they did not do. So, yeah, so reading is something I enjoy to do. Great. Yeah, I'll have to check out some of those, especially that last one. Very interesting. So um, what is your go-to restroom recovery method? I have a hammock, if you see it. I'm going to show it to you. You, you may not see it. Okay. Can you see it there? Yeah. Well, 
That's my rest and recovery. We have cuckoos out there at the moment. We have lovely sunshine. And I will just completely relax into that and follow my breathing and sink into the hammock. And that is tremendous at um, bringing a stillness to the mind, to the breath, and to the body. Great. Yeah. Um, so how can folks find you and learn more about some of the uh, breath uh, tools and, and methods that you offer? We've got one, one website for health is butecoclinic.com. And this is where you will see articles and also the free videos for kids, the entire instruction for children. And then the, the website for sports performance is oxygenadvantage.com. Okay, great. Patrick, again, grateful for the time. Awesome, awesome conversation. Lots of uh, information to think about and consider as well as practical tools. So thanks and be well. Thank you for listening to this episode. Lots of great practical tips covered here today. And if you know someone who could get some value out of this episode, please share. Be super grateful. Uh, We're all about being well and improving our our life. And so if someone can get value out of this, please remember to uh, subscribe, review, and share. Again, grateful for you. Remember, be rested, be well.